now that now that we're all here, I need to show you something. I oh, bought myself oh. a birthday present. Is it the Ultimate Warrior? Yeah. Look at that. Nice. Ultimate. What? Does it say warrior as well? I can't. Yeah, it says Where's warrior. Where's the warrior at the bottom? At the bottom? I don't want to see any logo. In, in fact, you know, it's easier if I that actually like that. That's it. There we what, go. What, what is what is that? Oh, come on, Chinch. Come on, Ultimate Chinch. warrior. Here's Rory's favourite WWE as was F. Superstar. Uh, what, one of the one of the mainstays Who? of the early nineties. Yeah. Ray Mysterio. I no, don't mind Rey Mysterio, but I wouldn't have a T-shirt with Rey Mysterio's face I only on it. know, I only know Rey Mysterio and the, not the church warden, what's he called? The Undertaker. Mm. My kids had the, the, the dolls. It was just, it's nonsense though, isn't it? Of course it's nonsense, I, mate. Right? I would probably only wear a T-shirt with Ravishing Rick Rude on. Mm. That would be my... I would definitely wear it. Is he a wrestler or is he a porn star? <laughs> he <laughs> he doodle that right now. like the latter, but he was Ravishing Rick Rude. Yeah. Oh. Yeah? He was all of those what's three his... things. What was his USP then? He was ravishing. He was ravishing. He was just so attractive that you'd just crumble. He did have a, he had a, was it like a, what was his special move? I can't remember now. No, I have no idea. Didn't Rey Mysterio used to swing around and, and oh, come in and clobber you. through? It was a move. It was, it was a move or something he had. You have I found a t-shirt for you. Hang on. <laughs> have you now? What's the appeal oh, of it? What, what's the let's appeal? Just, let's just, it, it's like a savage ballet. It <laughs> isn't though, is it? It's nonsense. Well, it's not like Swan Lake with knives, is it? Ballet is also predetermined. Let's just let people enjoy whatever it is they enjoy. Steve's changed uh, his angle again, hasn't he? He's changed his angle of entry. I'm in a completely different room, Chinch. What are you talking about? Well, yeah, you've changed I'm your angle again, haven't you? Yeah, I'm you've in, changed yeah, your angle. I'm in the open plan. I like it there. It's showing I mean, off your wealth. The open plan. <laughs> showing off how wealthy you are and how much money you've made from the job that you do. With that, with that, look at that cooker just rubbing um, it in people's faces. That, that well, is. I've not, I've not made any money from my job for three and a half months, Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> this is Set Piece Money, the podcast where four friends still in lockdown and a little confused about the new rules in the UK. Talk football over food. I'm Hugh Ferris. Joining me are Stephen Wyeth and Andy Hinchcliffe, who nearly share a birthday with each other. And Rory Smith, who from this moment onwards will have his birthday shared with and therefore inevitably overshadowed by the anniversary of the Premier League's magnificent project restart. An honour indeed for... Mr. Rory Smith. In keeping with the birthday theme, uh, the food has been provided by me for the purposes of the camera. It is the 40th birthday cake of brother-in-law and dedicated SPM listener, Paul Burton. It was made by his wife, Nicole, and daughter, Darcy. It is tremendous. Can we all see how massive the oh God, slab yeah. was that we were... Look at that. It's like on it's a... a Victoria sponge. It's a Victoria sponge, but it's a triple Ooh. Victoria sponge. Why it's like would on a lazy anybody... season so that you can see mm. it in full round. Why would anybody make a cake that looks delicious, great bake, but not put icing on it? What's the point? It's dusted. Uh, with it's a Victoria icing. sponge. Exactly. I can't. I just. It's such a wa- the Victoria sponge is such a wasted opportunity. No icing. I think icing can kill can kill a great cake. So if you put icing on a Victoria sponge, no, 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 no. That that would ruin it. Ruin the effect. Uh, happy birthday, Paul, and happy birthday, Rory, as well. And the football is chinch. Do you know what we're talking about today? Um, is it something to do with football starting again? Yes, we are indeed talking about the return of the Premier League, but in true almost worthy of copyright style, we will attempt not to just rehash material you may well have seen or heard elsewhere. Instead, we're going to rehash our own material and ask this. The Premier League is back, but will it still be the best? This, many of you will note, takes us back to the very first episode of Set Piece Many when we impertinently wondered if the Premier League was indeed the best league in the world. So that is all to come. You can get in touch with the podcast setpiecemenu at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. And also now you can find us on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. 
Just search on YouTube for Set Piece Menu and you will find our first offerings, including the full SPM Live It's Not Live shows in vision uh, from the last couple of weeks. Many thanks to Stephen for basically spending 86 hours producing those great efforts. Can I ask a question? Yes. <laughs> are, are we going to put the, like the footage of, of us chatting on YouTube? Some of it, sometimes. Sh uh, should I have done my hair? There's already been plenty of footage of you having not done your hair on various social media platforms over the course of the last few years to not be overly worried about it now. Yeah, I mean, it's true. I haven't, done, I haven't really done my hair for about 20 years. So I, should, I suppose mm -hmm. it's, it's a bit late. That horse has probably bolted and covered in, in gel product. Every time you walk into the Monday Nightclub studio, you are immediately all over the interweb. Rory, so, so people know what your hair looks like already. And, and it's bad. Yeah, and that's a fair point. All right, I am, um, there's no point trying to salvage my reputation now. Let's, let's carry on. Uh, well, talking of the SPM Live, it's not live shows. Thank you to all of those who contributed over the last couple of weeks and also those who sent nice little emails afterwards returning those sentiments of gratitude. And indeed to Matthew Plunkett as well, who apologised for calling me fat messy, um, which is good of him. <laughs> I would say big of him, but that would uh, be going down the same uh, uh, path. This comes from another SPM Live It's Not Live guest, Martha Escobar, who emails this. Being an American woman, I'm immediately stumped as to how to begin. I know enough not to start with dear sirs or mates. She does M and then eight. Would gents or chaps be more appropriate? She has a question. What is up with the SPM PLPL? How will the mm. SPM PLPL be decided if the Premier League is unable to finish? The public demands to know, she says not necessarily truthfully. That's Martha in New York City. Well, to answer the second question first, no idea. Recent precedents suggest that we need several twice weekly meetings and a whole load of self-interest to consider before coming to any conclusion on that front. Um, and as regards what's up with the SPM PLPL, well, it resumes along with the Premier League. You can head to tinyurl.com forward slash setpiece menu to discover how well you're doing in the setpiece menu Premier League Predictions League as we enter the delayed final straight of the season. For new listeners, this is our game where you predict the final Premier League table and are rewarded by a very cleverly constructed point system, depending on how close you are to the real thing. Best Man Billy has been hard at work to make sure it is ready for the restart and has furnished us with this important information. The current top three are, in third place, Dan Mason, Whitehaven Wanderers. In second place, Will Frampton, Keller's WFA. And currently leading by just a single point is Toby, either Novachki, Nowachki, or Nowaki, depending on what part of the world you are from. And it's T Toby IPL on 362 points. You are there for the taking, Toby. And the four of us are ranked as follows. Mm. In a magnificent 40th place, Andy Lecht, Andrew George Hinchcliffe. Only 20 40th? off the top. Out of, out of how many people? Um, more than 600. You're 40th out of Good 600. Lord. I'm going to work out that that is, that is a dungeon. That, that's brilliant. I think mainly because you had Bournemouth quite low in your, in your guesses. That might be the one thing that's helping you out. And you all had Bournemouth high. Idiots. I can't even remember, which is why we're going to head to tinyurl.com forward slash set piece menu. In 44th place, in off the bar, Stephen Wyeth, who celebrates wordlessly on our Zoom call. 291st place. Zainab Badawi's 20 Hotels, Rory Smith. And... 291, that's embarrassing. Oh, well, I don't Top know. Half. <laughs> Compared half. to this. And in 487th place, <laughs> what the G's, <laughs> Hugh Ferris. Um, so let's move on from that quickly. Tinyurl.com. Hugh, Hugh can definitely down. still get sucked into a relegation battle here. Hugh, there's always um, a team that drops. Yeah, drops bottom 100 goes down. 
Hugh, me and you, when they, if they do have to cancel the season, we are going to be the ones lobbying for the whole thing to be declared null and void. <laughs> exactly. All void. It's just going to be voided. And we're going to say it before it's even a thing. Um, Kenny Maddock emails, Dear Steve, etc. I wanted to drop you all a note to say thank you for a variety of reasons and, of course, praise the podcast and the wonderful hashtag content you are responsible for. But first, please enjoy my origin story. I discovered the podcast while searching on my device for Rory Smith, nay times, as having listened to the Monday Night Club for a number of seasons, he seemed like the kind of pundit whose opinion I enjoyed hearing. I have since grown to admire each of you for your varying opinions, charismatic points of view, and above all else, the crack you all have. I have often found myself laughing so much that I've drawn glances from other socially distant exercises whilst out for a walk with the dog, or been given a hard stare from my beloved pooch for interrupting her beauty sleep. The thank yous are several fold, which is why you can understand this email made it onto the program. Firstly, for giving me over 100 episodes of back catalogue to enjoy since I was furloughed at the beginning of April. I thoroughly enjoyed catching up on all the in-jokes, including finally discovering the source of our beloved buffalo and the wonderful sentence constructed somewhere in the earlier pods with nothing but buffalo used. This has included a rather odd moment of transcendence as well when I was listening to you all discussing bolognese at the same time as making... A bolognese. Wow. That last part was in capital letters, you might have noted. Uh, the second thank you is uh, one you probably don't get an awful lot. It's for Chinch. I've just mm. finished listening to SPM 111, Life After Football, and the timing of it could not have been better. Having been furloughed, I received notice that my job is also now under threat of redundancy in the near future, which isn't a great position to be in at the grand old age of 32. However, listening to Chinch discuss how things went for him after retirement and pathways that you have since taken generally how you have all managed to keep things going a variety of career choices and also hearing how chinch effectively restarted life at the same age as i am now has given me some hope and aspiration for the future should the worst come to the worst so not only are your football discussions and hilarious musings top notch you're now branching into life coaching Keep up the good work. Kenny Maddock, a long-suffering Motherwell fan with a soft spot for Barnsley, having picked them as a team to support on CFAX one Saturday afternoon. I would say that two things leap out at me there. One is, is, that, is the very real sentiment that if, if Chinch can do it, literally anybody can. So you should take, take hope from that. <laughs> that um, is true. I endorse, <laughs> I endorse your comments. Um, and obviously we w- wish Kenny the best of, and, and everybody mm. who's in that horrible position Absolutely. of which there will be there will be many many people amongst our listeners and and not it's it's going to be bleak for a lot of people um but the other thing is slightly more kind of cheery audio content friendly which is do you think that dog walkers are the only people listening to podcasts now since since we got rid of commuting and i know i know the shops the shops of the day we're recording the shops have opened in britain again um although not all of them wh smiths is shut uh, what about house cleaning Yes, I, I, I listen during during. Do you listen yeah, while cleaning? Yes, chore chores yeah, related yeah. stuff is when I listen. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't encourage. To, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't listen to podcasts. I listen to uh, the mighty Bruce Springsteen, but I, I do listen to something while I am I am polishing all my medals. All I would enc- I'd encourage people to listen to podcasts whilst they're queuing to get into Primark or yeah. wherever it else yeah. is that they've decided they haven't been able to live without, and they simply must get in there the minute the doors open. So Kenny was a fan of SPM 111. To continue the nostalgic theme, do you remember earlier on in lockdown, we heard from Ewan Haig in Chicago? Dear set piece menu, he's emailed again. As I moved about two months ago at the start of the coronavirus lockdown, I had decided to go back to SPM number one and listen to every episode. One of the reasons for doing this was to understand the terms used in the show, most curiously, like Kenny, 
buffaloes. I finally found the answer in SPM number 74, which had included an email that led to the derivation of the accolade. As a result, I now realize that I'm going to have to email you much more regularly to achieve mm. exalted buffalo status. Thank you for making social distancing entertaining in a 2016-2017 kind of way. Best wishes, you and Hay. P.S. Belated congratulations to Hugh and Gemma on their wedding, and dear Nikki on the birth of their granddaughter Primrose, and Rory and Kate on Edward's birth. Since then, Ewan, as promised, has been sending a little back catalogue travelogue. Dear SBM is another email. As my odyssey continues, I heard Chinch inadvertently predict the 2018-19 season in episode 76, recorded in May 2018. He said, what if Man City win the Premier League and League Cup, but another English team wins the Champions League next, se next season? I'm now looking forward to Chinch's 2018 World Cup predictions. That's from Ewan Hay. The next email is as follows. Chinch's <laughs> mm. World Cup prediction of a koala leaping like a hairy salmon to score for Australia against Peru was inspired, <laughs> though sadly inaccurate. <laughs> Signed, Ewan Hay. Uh, good luck, Ewan, as your journey heads into SPM episodes with three figures. We hope to hear from you again soon. Uh, all correspondence to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Now, there's really only one thing to talk about this week, and you'll forgive us for jumping on that bandwagon, famed as we may well be for normally eschewing any bandwagon jumping. The Premier Is this League about my birthday, then? No, the Premier League returns on the day that we release this podcast, which also happens to be... Rory's birthday. My birthday. Yeah, yes, George. okay. Yeah. Uh, they are desperate to not only bring their product back to the masses, but also, frankly, to ensure that broadcasting revenue is protected and to avert the potential threat that some other league might fill a void that it leaves and become the most popular league in the world. There were many, many speech marks in that last sentence. But as it does so, and considering the reputational damage that the coronavirus pandemic and the subsequent lockdown may have done to its brand, and furthermore, the prospect of robbing the Premier League of the thing that provides the backbone to their claim of popularity, full stadia, can it still rightfully hold that position? Way back in SBM episode one, we asked, is the Premier League the best in the world? And then took a lot less time to not reach a conclusion. So we're going to be all retro and ask it all over again, while no doubt repeating all the points we made then, but have subsequently forgotten. The Premier League is back, but is it the best? Won't we find out over the course of the next few weeks? Is the question not premature, Hugh? No. You're throwing us all under the bus here. Isn't, but Hugh, as always, has struck a, a rich seam, Steve, without really realising it. Yes, because it's always an accident. The Premier League is reliant on its spectacle. That's what that's what the Premier League sells across the world. That's what what people really like. the The Premier League production value, effectively, which goes all the way up to most of its co commentators, is <laughs> is better than than anything else on the planet. So if you think about Italy, how many games in Italy do you see where the bottom run of the San Paolo is is empty, or you know half of San Siro is closed or there's nobody at all at Udinese. Like there's Italian games don't look as good on T on, on screen. Um, you're trying to say you're not convinced by the painted seats at Udinese. Not not always, Stephen. No. Um but it's it's Napoli that really kind of jars with me. Like you you'll you watch Napoli play and they'll straw and you'll hear this massive roar and you, your first thought is literally, where is everybody sitting? <laughs> because you can't see any of them on screen. And it doesn't lend itself to the product. It's, it's little tricks like, like having the, the, the microphones on the pitch facing into the crowd is something the Premier League does that not every league in Europe does. And it makes it sound like this massive kind of collective experience in a way that certainly Italy and to an extent Spain and France really aren't. Germany is the only kind of the only, only peer or rival who gets close in terms of presenting 
the the occasion of a football match, the spectacle, the event, all that stuff, anywhere close to how the Premier League does. And the, the drawback for, Germ- for Germany, and this is going to sound really glib and it's not meant to be, is that it's all in German. Everything's in, everything is in German. We've talked about this before, about the massive linguistic advantage the Premier League has. And it'll be interesting to see what happens when the Premier League can't rely on all that stuff because it might. I have a theory that what we're all going to realise over the next six weeks is that football is is a lot of the time quite rubbish and we love it despite that not not because of it and we get distracted by the spectacle into thinking oh this is all incredibly important and it means so much and look at the emotion but actually what what we watch a lot of the time isn't as entertaining as we think it is or as we as we remember it being and that's partly something that's a, a risk because of the empty stadiums but it's also partly because we've not seen any for three months there's been this big build-up of oh we've got to get it back it's really important for it to come back really want it back would love to have you know more football on the tv we've got this prospect in britain now and across the world of, of basically wall-to-wall football for six weeks six to eight weeks and i think we we, we remember it wrongly i think we, we remember football kind of incorrectly and that is a is a really kind of dangerous thing because we, we're going to sort of see it and think that it's rubbish because there's no fans there but in reality it will only partly be rubbish because there's no fans there it will partly be rubbish because it would have been rubbish anyway we just wouldn't have noticed and the Bundesliga has offered us a little bit of insights as to what to prepare ourselves for because in the Bundesliga when the games have been good or of a high quality as the Klassiker between Bayern and Dortmund most certainly was or where you've had a game where one team, Dortmund, has been vastly superior to Schalke, another derby game, that, that the game that, that opened things back up for the Bundesliga. You have been able to, to see that and enjoy it, despite the fact that it doesn't have the familiar backdrop. But when the quality of the game has been poor, it has certainly shone a brighter light on that as well, because you don't have the, the other factors. The Perhaps if it was a a poor relegation contest, um, Mainz-Augsburg recently springs to mind in terms of well, without the fans and the emotion and the anxiety that they bring to the occasion, what you had was just two teams not playing very well. And I think Rory is right that, that will, we will almost certainly get to witness those things with a, with a lot more clarity than we would have done pre-lockdown. Does the Premier League rely on the fans more than others to the extent that they will suffer more during this period. But that's the irony, isn't it? That if you, if you actually watch Premier League games, the, and it's strange as players and managers all come to England because they're determined to play in front of these amazing crowds. But if you actually watch the vast majority of Premier League games, they are far quieter than the average, certainly German game. And I would say probably Spanish or Italian as well. Pan-European, pan-European. Yeah, I mean... I, the, I mean, it always used to strike me when I used to do like Europa League games, you'd get like Olympiacos fans or Eintracht Frankfurt fans or Cologne fans or whoever, these fans from, from across Europe and they'd go to like Arsenal and you would literally, I mean, Ike Athens was the, was the one that really struck me once that you'd, you'd watch them and you think, my God, these fans are having such a good time and everybody else in the stadium is miserable. And it's, re- it's really strange how this myth has kind of become part of reality that, that, the, that the Premier League atmosphere is far better than it is anywhere else because it really it really genuinely and this isn't said with any any bias in mind it genuinely just just isn't and there's a load of reasons for that we've, we've discussed at length before I think the the problem the Premier League's got is that it might find out how much of its appeal is based on that 
on the sustainability of that myth. Whereas the other leads don't particularly sell them. Very few of them sell themselves as the best lead in the world. Like La Liga's whole thing is this is where the stars play. Um, Italy doesn't really have a thing. And Germany's, Germany's thing is, is, is based basically on the spectacle of the fans, but in such a way that no one is going to be surprised that the German, German games are worse without fans because they sell the fans so much. Whereas the Premier League's all-encompassing sort of marketing strategy is this is the best league in the world. This is the, you know, the, greatest, the greatest stage on earth. And you think, well, actually, all right, we, we might be able to find out now actually how good mm. it looks when there are no fans there. Well, that's what I'm going to say. The question, is the Premier League the best? Do we mean the football, the fans, the occasion, the spectacle? That, that's Premier League football. If you take the fans away, are we going to see the actual football that's being played? Will that not come up well against German or Italian? The, the, the pure football matches themselves. Do you think it might kind of shine a light on actually we're now just watching the games and concentrating on the games and actually the standard of football within the Premier League doesn't kind of hold up against the Bundesliga and Serie A. Would that be fair or not and in Spain as well? I think, I think the standard is the same pretty much. You think so? Across Europe. Yeah. I think that those, big four, those four leads, the, the overall standard, there's certain strengths in certain countries. So the Italians are much better at defending than the Germans. And there'll be certain teams, Liverpool this year, Man City, Bayern, who are genuinely excellent. So who would you choose? Again, we get all these games, all these leagues now, you strip away the fans. If you had a choice of watching a league, which one, which one of, of, the, of the big leagues would you choose? Would you choose the Premier League to still well, watch? You, or? You, it's, it's impossible to answer though, isn't it? Because you, you, you're most interested in the one that has most relevance to your team. Or, or so, to, like I say, if we can do it hypothetically, if we're looking at pure on, on enjoyment of football or quality of, of the football, I think you'd probably Which, watch Germany. Germany. For, for entertainment, I think you'd probably watch the Bundesliga. If you, didn't, if you didn't have a horse in the race, you'd probably watch the Bundesliga. If, you want, if what you really wanted, I suppose, was technical expertise, you'd probably say Spain. The, the success of the Premier League is that it has... The, the Premier League is second in both of those categories. So it's quick and it's intense and it's entertaining like Germany, but just not quite as entertaining as Germany. And it's technically excellent, but not quite as technically excellent as, yeah, as Spain. I, I think as well, in, in the, the conversations we've had as broadcasters with the Premier League as well, they're working very hard. They clearly can't recreate what we had before, but they're working very hard to have these, you know, wraparounds in the stands, fan walls, and noise played in on when goals go in and this type of... They're clearly working very hard to try and get as close as they can to what we experienced back in March, but it's still going to fall well short, but they, that, is that again, the Premier League understanding that it isn't just the football that sells. We, we've got to try and put as much of, as we possibly can to get as close as we possibly can to what we saw in March. This is the other thing though, Chinch is going to come out in, in the wash because our employers have got uh, an issue to contend with in terms of how much of the razzmatazz, how much of the build-up do they keep as it was before lockdown mm. and how mm. sensitive are they to firstly the fact that there's not going to be the fans in the stadium so you don't have that crackling atmosphere to ramp up towards you you can't give it the big build up to that moment when the teams walk out of the tunnel and the ground erupts properly for the first time the teams build. are going to come out separately as well aren't they because exactly. of the social distancing thing so it's all all going to be very different so you're not going to get that you might still get the walkout music that a lot of clubs use but you won't get the noise of the fans and and also they're going to have to take into account that the world is a very different place at the moment to, to what it was prior to lockdown so how appropriate would it be to, to give it the big build-up, the big, this is the most important game of football that's ever happened. This is the most important thing that's happening in the world at this very moment, when, of course, people have got so many other issues to contend with. So I think mm -hmm. we will see a more muted 
production around football when it returns and at least until fans are able to come back into grounds in their numbers and that will will have an impact on the overall spectacle and I think that is something the Premier League is most vulnerable to of all the other leagues is that because the Premier League has that razzmatazz dialed up to 11 at all times because it is presented as being everything is presented as being of such significance that I mean I, I know we've referenced it a million times but that Mitchell and Webb sketch about the football lasting forever that is it is amazing how prophetic that has has been because that is how the Premier League is presented at all times and I think that fans will, will think a lot I think over the next six weeks over how much this means and basically a lot there'll be a lot of people who decide it doesn't mean anything if the outcome of it is not to their liking so there'll be plenty of people who say that Liverpool winning the league doesn't count or that you know Aston Villa being relegated doesn't or shouldn't count because because it you know it doesn't mean anything it's not it's not meaningful um which I think is to miss the point of the whole exercise which is that football means what we want it to mean at all times but I think there'll be a lot of that's the thing that I'm really interested in. I think a lot of, of what we assume is, is like a diminution in quality because of the situation and because of the lack of razzmatazz. We will think, oh, well, that's because it, it, isn't, it isn't proper football without, without fans. Whereas actually what it might be is that it's, it's not the proper experience to us without all of the spectacle around it. And that what we actually tune in for, what we attribute meaning to, is the spectacle rather than the actual event, if you see what I mean. Yeah, the Premier League has to be careful not to highlight any artificiality in pre-lockdown football by trying to create it artificially now and it matching or at least coming fairly close to. And that, that, that's an issue that they've got to be thinking about. And Chinch Chinch says that they are at least. Um, Can I bring in a Buffalo? Uh, Simon Bodsworth has emailed to say this. Hello, it's only a SPM small friends. room that you're in. It's, how big is it? <laughs> <laughs> you're right. It is the smallest room in the house. The door. It is not Buffalo ready. Uh, Simon, wait outside. Um, Simon says this, I've been loving the lockdown content and though I'm still working, it's now from home. So I've been taking many a trip down memory lane through, the, through much of the back catalogue. Again, can't get too much of a good thing, right? Thanks, Simon. You know how to start an email. I'm now extremely adept at pressing pause on Sonos, unmuting, throwing in some decisive comment to the Zoom conference, slamming mute on, pressing play on Sonos, such that Rory's monologues hardly falter. It's like he just paused to say, but. Still, to my reason for putting fingers to keyboard. It was with mixed emotions I read about the restart on June 17th. I just don't know if I'm as excited as I thought I would be. Am I in the minority? I will admit I have been as desperate as any in my desire for football to return. It would bring a gyroscopic balance to my week, focus my attention and rekindle my what? Belief? My passion? Watching the first weeks of the Bundesliga return have left me, I must admit, a little cold. It was like watching Top Gear after Clarkson May and Hamster left. It sort of went through the motions, but wasn't quite the same. Football, Jim, but not as we know it. There is a myth around football that we all believe and are drawn to. Then you watch a game without a crowd and realise it's just 22 guys running around, swearing and breathing hard with some other guys on the touchline shouting other stuff no one is paying the slightest attention to. The scene in Psycho, when the shower curtain is ripped back, makes you scream. It makes you scream because of the atmospheric build-up, the music, the tension. I'm not sure how much you'd scream if there was no music. You could hear people shuffling and rustling. You could see the guy with the sound boom and the best grip, gripping, well, whatever it is he grips. The spectacle would be lost. You'd just be sat watching some people at work. I've come to believe that football, that is the professional business of playing football, is not a sport. It is a form of entertainment built on the premise of sport. Fans turn up in their thousands to be part of the thousands. We watch on TV to be vicariously there, to be 
plus one to the screaming hordes, wishing we were part of that vitality of that never to be repeated now. People scream in pubs when they hear others screaming. In the few pubs in Germany where fans were watching the Bundesliga return, there was, in the main, subdued appreciation. Screaming at home when 60,000 people are doing it on the TV feels good. Screaming at home when you're the only person you can hear probably worries the neighbours. I'm sure I'm worrying over nothing, but I sincerely hope three or four weeks of emotionless, passionless football doesn't cure us of, well, football. Thoughts to all SBMers and their loved ones out there. That is from Simon Bodsworth. Yeah, I'm just going to throw a question. Who's going to suffer most because of this? Players playing in front of no crowd... Fans that normally go to games being forced to watch football or viewers watching a game that has no fans. So again, the spectacle, the atmosphere is going to be very different than what they're used to. Who is going to find it the hardest of those three categories? That's mainly what we're talking about here, isn't it? The players, fans that normally go to games that can't or viewers that normally watch football with a, a full stadium. Who, who's going to find it hardest? Well, you'd know about the players, Chinch. Just you, you it, will be odd, it will be odd, but the players, will, it will be very different football, but they'll just, they'll just get on and do what they do. So I, I think it's mainly the other two categories, fans that normally go to games and viewers. Well, who, is going to be, who is going to be affected most by this? I spoke to a player. I get really depressed when people... There's a lot of emails about my monologues. I'm going to try and take this really brief. The, um, I spoke to a player in Germany a few weeks ago who said... I'll go that, make a cup of tea and you'll still be talking when I get back. That... Um, that that there was no question that playing without fans made everything less intense. He said it was harder to, to work yourself up to the game and to, to kind of find that inner fire, I guess. But if you look, if you look at, at German games over the last few weeks, like the players, like it clearly means something to them. Like I don't think there's any shortage of, I think they'll be having to get used to kind of not being able to ride the crest of the wave of the fans and stuff for a little burst of energy. But you can tell that when they score, they are delighted. In fact, I watched the, the Seville derby on, what, last Thursday? Or whatever, whenever it was. And when Lucas Acampos scored the first goal for Sevilla, he ran off to an empty stand, pumping his fists and you know, grabbing the front of his shirt and screaming. Mm-hmm. I don't think the players... I think it's a different rhythm to the game. But I think to the players, it's the same thing. They're, they're trying to and win it. will ramp up game by game the more they yeah. get used to it. Because it will be strange on game one. But actually, by game five or six, they'll get used to it. So they will settle into it and the intensity will grow. And that's what's happened in certainly the German games that I've seen. And you would imagine that the intensity week one will be lesser than it is after you know, three or four games once mm-hmm. players are back up to, to 100% tempo, once they've got used to playing in empty stadiums, once the significance of what they're playing for has, has been amplified. So it, it would be foolish to judge it on, on what we see over the first sort of, well, those, the two makeup games that are played the evening that, that this podcast comes out and then the, the first round of fixtures over the, over the course of the subsequent weekend. I think it is worth noting as well about Germany that I think it, one of the senior referees, I think it was Dennis Eitekin, was asked about this when he was part of a, a TV broadcast when he wasn't um, refereeing a game and, and they, they monitor referees' heart rates in, in the Bundesliga at certain times. And he revealed that his heart rate was considerably lower for the what they call the ghost games in Germany than it had been prior to lockdown. And he saw that as an indication that the intensity of of the occasion was lessened by there not being spectators in place. To answer Chinch's question, I think the, the group of people uh, from your shortlist who will feel it the most will be regular match-going fans 
because they are the ones that are having the thing that they are most used to taken away, their experience of being at the game. Those who watch on television will get a different experience in terms of the, the visuals and the noise, but ultimately they are still watching the same set of players playing against each other. But for the fans, obviously, that they'll miss the match day experience. Will there be a realisation that maybe the football that they've watched for so many years isn't maybe quite as good as they remember it as being because they'll get a chance maybe with not going to the games to maybe just to sit at home or in groups and watch the games a lot more than they probably maybe would do in a stadium. It is more of a, a, I've never been a fan of that type where you're with a a, a load of people. So it can be kind of a a group experience as well. So will, will there be a realization that maybe the football is not quite as, as great, as they thought it was. Which is Simon's point about it being the, uh, a, a form of entertainment built upon the premise of sport. Yeah. Where, where yeah. does the percentage lie in that? If you are revealing the sport in all its glory or not, depending on the quality of football, if you are shining a light upon that, does that enhance it and allow you to enjoy it more because you're enjoying it differently and you're perhaps focusing on the game more? Or does it reveal it to be something lesser than you thought it was and therefore it diminishes in terms of its stature or your opinion of either the game or your team or indeed the sport? The problem is that it's to do with the way we remember things as well, though, isn't it? It's, it's the fact that there's going to be this stark contrast between the trend of the football as we have imagined ourselves seeing it and the football we are going to be presented with, which is just a stripped back. It is just a game. And Simon's email is absolutely right. It is just a game. When, when you watch a game behind closed doors it becomes very obvious that it is an, an inherently meaningless, meaningless activity. And you, you start to question all that stuff about why you're so interested in it and why you're so addicted to it and why you care so much about the outcome of it. Because all of those things are written into the spectacle. That's what, what lends it all meaning. And I think it takes a little... There's an element of, of as you get used to it, that it, the old memory comes back. I think as you see the players care you remember why you care. It becomes important. You know, if you're seeing your players happy makes you, gives you some sort of glimmer of, all right, that's what it's about. Like that, that, there is still emotion on the pitch. It's not a totally emotionless sort of experience. It's, there's still people who, who find meaning in it, even if you're not there. Um, but also it, it takes a degree of conscious decision-making that you, we can decide we can all decide not to care about football anymore at any time, whether there's fans in the stadiums or not. We can all make that decision. Um, it is not beyond you to stop caring about football. Uh, and I think with, with behind closed doors games, what you have to basically do is you have to say to yourself, I do still care about this. This, does, this, this is real to me. This, is, this does contain meaning for me. And that's all that it can ever do. I think what we, what we might see is that we'll re, we will have a little, a little glimpse at the fact that there is no meaning, meaning innate to football that what it means is what it means to us ourselves rather than, than anything else. Mm. But also for, for the fans, they know this might be a finite period where it will end and we will go back to the yeah. how things were before. If this was a permanent decision, that football from here on in is going to be played behind closed doors, that would be absolutely devastating for, that, for, that, for those fans that go to games. And you said this is the only way to, to watch football is to, is to watch it from home or in a pub you're not going to be able to go to the games anymore that would be absolutely devastating it would change people's lives completely but they surely must help knowing that this will come to an end and we will go back to some kind of normality yeah exactly this the people knowing that this isn't the new normal 
should enable a majority to, to stick with it, even if they don't enjoy it as much as they have done previously. And I think that has been demonstrated from watching the Bundesliga. I mean, good quality football is, with no fans in the stadium is certainly better than no football at all. Look, it's not perfect. It's not ideal. But blimey, it's 80 90% of the way there. Yeah, it's missing that little, that little bit that really adds the icing on the cake. But I don't... So I it's don't something think... to be kind of endured more than anything else, isn't it? Just <laughs> got, is it just to, let, let's get through this. Yeah, let's, is well, that Sky Slogan? <laughs> no, 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 no. Of course, if you're Liverpool or you're Aston Villa, it's not just let's get through this and, and get to some kind of, we could be in another league or we might not have won the title. So clearly it's not as straightforward as that. But is it a case of, yeah, okay, it's not ideal. It's not what anybody wants, but let's just endure it, get through it, enjoy it as much as we can, and then hopefully it'll all go back to some kind of normality. The other thing that helps the Premier League in particular is, is what there is still to play for. Yes, the, the title is, is done. But what Chelsea in fourth, down to Arsenal in ninth, still arguably in the race for, for Champions League football, especially if Arsenal win their game in hand. And it, at least the bottom six and, and maybe even in Southampton just above that, still in, in relegation jeopardy. So that, there if you're is like a Crystal Palace fan, Steve, what, what really is there to, to get the juices flowing? There's not an yeah, awful lot, really, but- is there? potentially be true at this stage of the season anyway yeah exactly. yeah, yeah sure, still, sure. still going to the games would still give you that match day experience and yeah but the vast majority of fans don't go to games and this is this is something yeah, that, yeah, I, yeah. That, that is really unpopular if you, if you ever say it particularly on twitter but for most people football is not a an a sort of live experience and it and it and it, it hasn't been for a long time for like 20 30 years that that if you there's that weird hierarchy of fans where away fans are better than home fans and home fans are better than mm. than non-match going fans or you know people who go to a, the occasion to big games and they don't go to any games at all and i've always found it really strange is what you you telling me that you you love your team more because you can afford to buy tickets and some someone who's not got any money can't like that's that you wouldn't accept that logic in any other walk of life that the the poor person just doesn't want it enough it's an incredibly tory logic I think that that is a bit of a false, a sort, almost a false dichotomy that there is an interesting question, I think, about whether match going, regular match going fans, whether they, how much of their identity as a fan of a certain team is tied up with them being there. Because there is this thing where you want to be there, as, you, as Simon said, you, you, you go into, you go to games to be part of this collective experience, to be, you, you go to be one of the thousands. But I think there's also an, an identity thing that you feel as though if you're in the stadium, you're, you're not an observer to the drama, you're a participant in it. So if you're not in the stadium, how can the drama happen? How can, how can your team be trying if you're, not, if you're not there to play your role? It's, it's the equivalent of like the left winner not turning up because the fella in, in you know, row Z seat 43 isn't there. Well, how can, they, how can they be expected to win without me? And that there is part of that in all football fans, I think. And that they will have to get used to the idea that their team can probably cope without them a little bit. Um, but for the vast majority of people, the actual experience of, of how you consume football won't be, won't be any different. It's just the backdrop will be different. And because the backdrop is less interesting, you will see what's in the foreground much more clearly. And it, that might be good and it might be bad. The displacement of a a vast majority of a fan or fans from the hierarchy that you mentioned, Rory. So for example, you can be displaced geographically. So you can't go to watch games. You might yeah. be displaced because you never live there and you're still a fan for lots of different reasons. It could be a generational thing. It could be any number of other particularly modern reasons. You, you, you have been displaced from your team. Now those 
those fans who were, would consider themselves in the upper echelons of that hierarchy are being forcibly displaced. So they have to, at least to uh, some extent, appreciate what it must be like for those other fans and to understand that those fans have been displaced, not necessarily through that choice and are vicariously supporting via television. And that, that match going fan who has often looked down on that other fan is going to have mm. to be that fan and hopefully at the end of it, we'll appreciate a little bit more about how they can be just as vociferous in their support, just as emotionally attached, doing as much as they can whilst not being there and still being considered a fan of great importance, whether you go and, you know, your Z seat 43 or you're half a continent away. That's absolutely right. And it's, it's, um, it's, always, been a, it's always been a false hierarchy because it, there's, there's, people's lives are so much more complicated than, than we assume that they are that if, you know if you can't go to the stadium that you must be in some way lacking but i don't think that's i don't think that's true but as as chint says we know that hopefully this is only temporary it's up to the fans themselves really to decide what it means to them i do i do think that that we will that there is a i mean arson vendor said this that there is a real risk that football will suffer from being played in front of no fans because the fans are such a that that idea of a full stadium is such a such a sort of significant part of what we watch and why we watch it. And I mean, it's our kind of emotional cue, isn't it? Watching at home, you know something matters if, if you hear this big roar from the crowd. Um, but then the, I suppose that the alternative is that you might, you kind of have to watch the football rather than watching it as a kind of... Or watching the away fans and shouting at them. Or yeah, if you're or, an away or, fan, watching the home fans and shouting at them. And watching it as a form of entertainment that just say the, the, the game itself is something that brings you pleasure. I mean, that, that, first, that first weekend of the Bundesliga, the Premier League, by the way, has been helped by the fact that it's not the, the first league back because it's, it, we will, there will be people yeah. watching who've seen bits of football from Germany or Spain or wherever and, and are familiar with what it feels like to watch a game behind closed doors. Yeah, it certainly tempers expectations a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, you know that. I mean, I, I find that the whole thing really odd. The, the, there's a debate around it that sort of centres on, on it's worse like this. How can you say it's not worse? And you think, well, well literally nobody's saying it's not worse. So like, it, it is obviously worse. It's just that we don't have a choice. The clubs haven't... Like you've, you, I've seen, there's, especially in Germany, there's this big argument of, oh, the clubs are doing this because they... they does it, you know, it, they, they don't care about the fans. And you think, no, the clubs are doing this because there's a pandemic. Like the clubs want the fans in the stadiums. Partly does it provide them with quite a lot of money, but also partly because it means that everything is as it should be and the spectacle is still the same and this, this huge juggernaut of international football can keep on rolling. This is a massive challenge for football to get over it, but it rests, I think, on how the fans approach it. I, I completely agree that there, there shouldn't be perhaps the hierarchy there is over how and from where you support your club but I do think that the match going fans will be will be missed to the point where we will celebrate their return and it would be nice to think that football clubs learn to appreciate them a little bit more than they do just in terms of the the money that comes their way as a consequence of having full stadiums they are a hugely significant part of not just the Premier League, but all football's microclimate, whether that is the, the visual atmosphere they provide, the noise that they provide, the, the spectacle that, that comes from having them, not just in the stadium, but on their way into the grounds from the point of view of you know, television production, whether it's the peripheral economy that benefits from having people travelling to and from games, you know, from pubs to burger vans to 
you know, unofficial merchandising and fanzines and all sorts of other businesses outside of the immediacy of football that relies upon that bi-monthly arrival of 30,000 people in the vicinity to, to keep the economy in that area booming. So look, there are so many reasons why a match-going fan might feel as though, as Rory was describing, they do have a bigger role to play in the way that the team performs than those watching on from, from home. But let's just hope that this is only a short-term thing and, and that we can accept it for what it is right now and look forward to, to a return somewhere to what, you know, a proper you know, return of fans in stadiums somewhere towards the end of this year or, or the beginning of next year. I don't think we'll see full stadiums for, for a good while yet, but hopefully we might start seeing people back in, in dribs and drabs come the autumn. I would equate it to painting a, a, a wooden shed, which I've done on many occasions in my garden, a nice vibrant colour. You take the paint off and it's just, it's just wood. Some people like the look of wood. And I just wonder whether there will be certain fans that will say, you know what, I actually enjoy this more. Or is everybody going to say, this is horrible. We need to get fans back in the stand. Will there be a section of people who like just wooden sheds, not painted hot pink like mine? Or will they... Just, just say, well, it's going to go back to how it was before. But actually, I prefer just concentrating on the football and watching the game itself. Chinch, have you ever thought of doing a better job on the shed first time around so you don't have to keep stripping it back and repainting? Oh, I didn't say I, I've got three sheds. And three sheds, Hinchcliffe. I, I've not uh, had to strip any of my sheds and repaint them, Stephen. I paint them once and they're painted for life. <laughs> you paint okay. them, they stay painted. They do because I I I I, I sand them down. I, I I treat them I treat them like a like a fine lady. I, I don't take them for granted. Them I, down I, like I a fine them, lady. Yes, you've got to have. You've got to I have strip them back and dress them in hot pink. pink. <laughs> That's yes, Stephen. Exactly, exactly that. So in this analogy, Chinch, you are saying that the Premier League has mm. been stripped back to its distressed wood look. Yes, and that may well be surer foundations than has been previously assumed bearing in mind that a lot of what has happened in the Premier League particularly the coverage is very much certainly where you're concerned hot pink I'm not saying it's sure of foundations but I'm saying will some people prefer it that way we've always had it with the that paint in, job that, that will in, they will they prefer it the other way but that in, in essence is you saying that 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 is that the Premier League is is born of, of sure of foundations because actually people will watch the football and enjoy the football without the razz and all the palaver to suggest they've got no choice because they've got no choice if they had a choice would they would they still watch it with the razzmatazz or actually say you know what i i actually prefer it this way people will find silver linings they will find ways of it's thing, it'd be things like the sound of the ball hitting the back of the net that you can, you can hear really clearly now. It, the, or the ball hitting the post, which is a, an amazing noise anyway, but now it kind of echoes through this cavernous, empty stadium. It, there'll be an element of fun in the first week or so of, of actually hearing what the players are saying to each other. A sort of Leighton Baines wanders over to Ye- Yerry Mina. I've forgotten literally all of the players. <laughs> is Yerry Mina a person? <laughs> He is, yes, he is, and he plays for Everton. Is so he a thing? Actually, yeah, one's Leighton Baines doesn't tend to start many games, and Yerry Mina's Who's injured. the left back? But Luca, apart from that, Luca Dinia is the Luca Dinia. So Luca Dinia will wander over to Yerry Mina once he's recovered from his injury and say, hey, Yerry, I am thinking of getting a turn tonight. What do you think? What um, nationality is uh, Luca Dinia? He's French. Oh, is that French, is it? That's, That's French, sorry. Very obviously French. Yeah. Je pense du, uh, du manger une turn ce soir. <laughs> Love it, the, um, love it. But there'll be so there'll be there'll, people will find silver linings. They'll find ways of making the best of it. But no, I don't think there'll be anybody who kind of 
thinks, like Steve says, there won't be anybody thinking, oh, you know, I really hope the fans don't come back. I think it's nobody, much like this. Nobody. No. Well, maybe the players. Really? I think there'll be players who, yeah. who enjoy the fact there's not loads of people shouting at them. Oh, okay. and the referees will have a really yes, fun time. Yes, they love it. The referees they absolutely love, love it. it. Not, not necessarily what, what Steve was saying about the lack of intensity, um, because that's the referee saying lack of intensity, but what the referee means is less abuse. And I think yeah. that's what helps. <laughs> Do you know, um, one, innovation, one innovation I'm surprised that we are not, at least don't think we're going to see, is if you were ever going to mic up referees. No, you now, can't do it. No, now, no, 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 no. No. Ginge, now would have been the time time to do it because because you'll hear they, everything. St- we I know, know what they they're saying to them exactly, but we'd be hearing the abuse. Couldn't anyway. broadcast so, it. So, Mike, this would have been the time to do it. This would have been the opportunity. The bleep that machine more would <laughs> There's no way you could do that. It's hard enough under normal circumstances. I think they have tried it, and there has been recordings. And it's support. If you had no no background sound, it'd be absolutely. You're right because it would really shine a light on how the players behave and how they talk to a referee, but you simply couldn't broadcast it. But surely even the daftest of footballers in an empty stadium would realise that if they had an issue with the referee who they're already going to have to socially distance from anyway, mm. that it would be ill-judged to use a particularly naughty word to get your point across, knowing mist, full well that no, everyone no, no, no. could hear. If the red mist comes down, it, it's like anything. You, you don't think, hang on a minute, there's nobody in the stadium. I'm very, very careful about what I say. Players just do what they do. And that's why that is one of the major problems is the microphones around the pitch. I've only ever broadca- done one game. I think it was an England-Croatia behind closed doors game. And the major problem there was they had pitch side microphones and the, the language of the players was, was picked up and every second word was a, a swear word. But again, this is how players behave on a pitch. This is the language that they use. But it was just... Even you? It was awful. I, I wouldn't have done. No, I, 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 I tended to say very little. I just spoke with my feet or my head. What's um, odd is that you were speaking with your feet, but you were also swearing with your feet, <laughs> weren't you? Can you do that? Is that possible? Just, just, just with your slice the ball out of play that's like a really bad word is it is that is that how it works but anyway i'm just wondering how they're going to do this when the premier league comes back it's the microphones pitch side if they're going to use them that's what they're going to pick that that's the only noise you're going to hear uh, we're going to finish the conversation with uh, something that relates to that it's an, an email from sean dealing who asks with the premier league now having firm plans to return what do you know about on-site media coverage would you be comfortable attending will there be limits on numbers how practical is social distancing in media areas uh, generally uh, bearing in mind this is just something that we can shine a light upon with three of our four at mm-hmm. least uh, going to be spending time at Premier League grounds over the course uh, of the next six to eight weeks. Uh, my stuff is going to be mostly from home. So um, over to you guys for telling us a little bit. Chinch, what, what, have, the, what have Sky put in place to help you um, adhere to all the rules? It's, it's Sky and the, the Premier League obviously working together, being, being partners in this. It's, yeah, it's been, it's been really impressive. Again, they, they, they had to do this. If football comes back, we have to be safeguarded. So I, I've got no issues about going back to work, of course, with, with Prim at home and, you know, it's, there's relatives as well elderly relatives it is a worry that you could pick up something and 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 take it home but um from all the procedures they're putting in place sky and the premier league they're doing as much as they possibly can to to safeguard us enable us to do our job not to quite the same degree of course because we can't get access to certain areas but that's just how it has to be you know at least the football's being played we're there covering it as best we can but again i'm I'm interested in, in actually how i will feel covering games because crowds we talk about players reacting to crowds as well as, as commentators trying to pass across the feeling because you do get the feelings that come off crowds and how things are going for teams as well with no crowd there 
it's going to be different for the broadcasters as well. So that's going to be uh, interesting to see how, how we do our job with their, I think what's going to happen at grounds as well, when goals go in or at certain points, the, the, the clubs can play in music soundtracks within the stadium. But during the course, normally during the course of the game, they're not allowed to do that for the integrity of the game. I think Sky back at home for the viewer can play in some crowd noise and stuff, but we obviously don't hear that. And that would, the crowd noise, again, it does get the juices flowing. It does keep you on your toes and you do kind of react to that. So that's going to be really interesting. But in terms of getting in and out of the, um, the stadia, they, the Premier League and, and Sky can't do much more than they're doing. They're, they're doing their utmost to, to safeguard us. I'm sure it will be fine. Steve, mm. your, your match of the day game is which one? Well, my biggest concern about going back to work is that my first game back, I'll be sharing a gantry with Chinch. <laughs> so, I mean, if you are putting any jeopardy into the occasion, that will be it. But you know, I'm a hugger as well, Stephen. I, I, can't, yeah, yeah. I, can't, I can't lay hands on you, which everybody in the world wants to do. They want to, they want to cuddle you. I'm not so much going to need full PPE as a hazmat suit, but I don't really, I don't have any genuine concerns about that first game back. I think that so much care and attention will be taken in an environment that is used to holding tens of thousands of people and will now only have 300 people that there's a very good chance that you could enter and exit the stadium without necessarily encountering another human being within your you know immediate arm's length let alone being within two meters of somebody else for a prolonged period of time uh, I've been homeschooling a six-year-old and a nine-year-old for the last 12 weeks so honestly the opportunity to get to work completely overshadows any sort of concerns that, that there might be mm. my six-year-old is now back at school actually so you would argue that he is day-to-day -day going into a an environment where he is more likely to to catch something than than I will be at Burnley versus Watford, providing I can stop Chinch embracing me too warmly. So I, it, it does. It, I've not had any. I've not had the. I'm not involved in the first round of fixtures like Chinch. So the the detailed information is not filtered down my way just yet. But I'm sure there will be very very stringent protocols in place. I'm not entirely sure when I get involved because we are. There are 25 journalists allowed in to print journalists allowed into every game. Uh, I've applied for two for me and one for Tarek, my colleague. Um, we are yet, as of the time of recording, to be given an answer. Um, I would hope that, that all the, the other august pub publications, the Daily Express, the Daily Star, <laughs> hope that they're, that they're being contacted in person before the New York Times. That, that seems, uh, seems entirely sensible. Um, but I, yeah, I'm the same as Steve. I don't really it doesn't particularly worry me we've been told we'll have our temperatures checked when, when we go in we'll uh we'll be socially distanced within within press areas or areas that have been adapted for press use we've got to wear a mask at all times um which will make the press box much more attractive uh the yeah i think i think there are there is a risk but there is a risk with everything that we are all doing at all times at the moment. Um, we're fortunate that we're in a position where we can choose how much risk we want to take. So I'm sure if I said to the NYT, I don't want to go to a game, I'm, I'm, I'm too, too concerned about Corona, then they, then they would understand and we do stuff off, off the TV. Uh, but as things stand, I think the, the measures seem quite sensible. And to be honest, as, as I said earlier, like the shops have opened again, schools are back, some schools are back open with certain pupils. The, the, the country has basically in Britain done nothing but mass gather for about three weeks. Some of those mass gatherings have been entirely justified, the Black Lives Matter protests, some of them a bit less justified. It is obvious that people are now ad adopting their own risk profiles. 
uh, and I think it, it feels to me like the country has dropped to a place where it doesn't feel alien that football is back and that if it's safe, those of us who, who I don't want to say are, because I'm certainly not an essential part of any football match, but um, the, me- the media, I think, does have to be represented there. I don't, I don't think that's too self-promotional to say. Um, that doesn't feel like that is the highest risk activity that anyone in Britain will be engaged in next week, to be perfectly honest. And also, Stephen Rory, if I were to see you at a game and you're doing anything on camera, come to me, but again, within two metres of me, because Sky are providing me with my own makeup bag. Because clearly, oh yeah, seriously, seriously, I can't be, you can't be made up, can you? Because people can't get that close. You, you can't make this face up from two metres away. It's no. just impossible. You need so, a but drum. again, I, I'm not, I haven't, I don't think I've applied that much makeup over the years. No, I haven't. I haven't. What, I'm going to look like, like Kiss from the 1980s. It's going to be ludicrous, isn't it? I can't well, make not myself up. No, because by the time, if I do it at home and then drive to a game, it'll all have run down my face. I like Alice <laughs> Cooper. That's which might actually, which might be, which might be, a, because it melts, because I have a very shiny hot face, apparently. It's, it's not paint. Because it runs. <laughs> no, but it runs. It does run, doesn't it? If you, if you get sweaty, it runs, and they keep having to reapply it. So again, how am I going to, that's not going to work, is it? I can't do it at home and travel. I'll let Prim do it for you. I'll painted hall <laughs> yes. in the car, can I? Yeah, use paints and get Prim do it. Ian Danter from Talk Sport <laughs> has, and I think still is, in a Kiss tribute band. He's a massive oh. Kiss he will he'll have you involved he'll have you on drums i would love to you know i'd love to do that to to, to really ludicrous makeup like that and then go and do an interview a pre-match interview deadpan (laughs) it would work it would be great people wouldn't know what to make of it would they uh and i'm particularly interested uh whether the pundits look like kiss or not uh whether the coverage (laughs) certainly of the first couple of rounds is more about the atmosphere the lack thereof the changes than it is about the football and given that we've spent quite a lot of the time on this uh, episode of Set Piece Many talking about the fact that uh, we're trying to strip back the artificiality to show that it is artificial and to also try and lay some sort of foundation of what is good about the Premier League. Mm. It'll be interesting to see if the coverage actually focuses on those things that we, are, we, that we think and have said today are good about the Premier League. And you know what? The other thing to, to bear in mind in that is that the coverage will reach an awful lot more people in terms of live Premier League football than it ever has done before. If you're looking for a silver lining, if you're looking for a benefit from the current situation, the fact that there will be four live games on the BBC, the fact that Amazon will show their games to people without a prime subscription, and the fact that Sky will show, what, 20? Is it 20 games? To a couple of dozen games? Mm-hmm. They will be free to air as well. Mm-hmm. means that an awful lot more people than ever before in this country will be able to access Premier League football. That's something that we'll talk about perhaps on a future pod, Chinch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm, I'm also conscious as well, we, we've talked this to death, it's, it, it's football, but not as we know it, and there's huge downsides to this. But I'm, well, once the, the game kicks off and we, the football starts to be played, I, I'm really going to be as positive as you can possibly be because you're still trying to make it an enjoyable viewing experience, do the job that we always do, and not just constantly say, well, the game's not like it was and the intensity's not like it was. It's not that you're ignoring it, but we all know it's not going to be quite the same, but let's still make the very best of it while we can. It's a bit inside baseball, but just from a journalistic point of view, there's an interesting turning point where you, you kind of have to stop writing about the fact there's no fans there. Yeah. You ha- it, 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 after a while as ridiculous as it sounds, the fact there's no fans in stadiums will not be new. And it, from a European perspective, it's not new now, to be honest, because the Germans, have, I mean, the Germans have nearly finished their season, which I think is one of those, because the Premier League and La Liga and Serie A will be back by that stage. They might not get as, as much credit for as they deserve, but the Germans will have finished their season within two weeks, which is extraordinary. 
that they'll, they'll beat the June the 30th deadline. They won't have to worry about contracts or anything like that, apart from buying an RB Leipzig in terms of, of the Champions League. But the Germans will deserve a huge amount of credit for that. But there, there, there came a point in Germany where, all right, the organised fan groups are still, still object to it. I think no one's under any illusions that it's not an ideal situation. But you, you kind of just have to accept that this is what it is and we are where we are and there's not a vast amount anyone can do about it. So it doesn't become... It, it, it shouldn't be the case that for the next six weeks, all anyone is saying is, well, there's no fans in the stadium. So it's, it's a bit weird, isn't it? Like, there'll come a point where that is no longer novel and we have to start thinking about, right, well, actually what's happening on the pitch is quite interesting. And, you know, it, or, or at least it's as interesting as it would have been anyway. But the other thing, Hugh, is that it's another storyline. And that's ultimately what the, going back to Simon's email, the, the Premier League is an entertainment complex built around the premise of sport. And what, what all sports entertainment industries do is build storylines. And to be honest, this is a storyline. No football for three months has been a storyline. No fans in stadiums will be a storyline. The return of fans will be a storyline. So I think that to an extent, the Premier League kind of has the thing that it needs the most, which is a narrative. It's time for Nevermind Jack and Ori, What a Soccer Story. This is Andy Hitchcliffe. Tells the tale from his playing or broadcasting days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. Uh, it's a story I've had for quite some time, but I've always been a bit reticent to to talk about it because it's quite an alarming, quite a shocking, and it's it's a bit of a horror story as well. It concerns my former Sky colleague, Peter Beagree. We were together at Everton. I joined Everton in 1990, and this was, I'm sure it was a pre-season tour, which makes it even more amazing what happened. Not an end-of-season tour, pre-season tour, 1991. Howard Kendall uh, was the Everton manager and Howard had a certain way of doing things, whether it be pre-season, end of season. He went away with the lads, went away to Spain generally, and there was a fair bit of drinking done, regardless of whether it was pre-season or end of season. I'm sure this was a pre-season tour. I'm sure I've mentioned the story about Pat Nevin and myself getting fined for staying in on a pre-season tour, yes. but that was to Switzerland. I've told that one. This was to Spain. And uh, again, I, I, didn't, I wasn't out with Peter at this time, but clearly... Pre-season tour, you think you're building up, you're ramping up your training to, to start the season. But Howard's way was to was to, to go out and enjoy yourself. And it was part of his team team bonding, team spirit thing. So clearly the lads have all been out. Peter's been out having a few beers. And it was, I think, about two o'clock in the morning. So we're all in the hotel. We're all in bed. And Peter had been out with a few of the other boys as well. And apparently he'd, um, he'd asked um, a Spanish lad for his, his moped to have a ride on his boat, which is probably not a good idea at two in the morning when you've had a few beers. And, but it, it jumped on the, the moped and he, he rode it back to the team hotel. Now, again, at two o'clock in the morning, what they tend to do in hotels is they, they have the, the sliding glass doors, which tend to, during the day, as you approach them, they open up to let you in. But at night, they, they lock them. But again, you're not probably thinking straight after a few beers at two in the morning. Pizza decided to ride the scooter up the steps of the hotel and at the entrance doors to the hotel thinking they, they would open and he'd be able to drive the moped around the uh, the foyer but sadly the doors didn't open and he rode his moped straight through the plate glass windows doors of the hotel now he had he, I, i'm sure it was he had 60 stitches i've heard reports of having 50 stitches put into his arm because it was that bad badly lacerated now he, he could have lost his this it it, it sounds hilarious but actually it clearly wasn't. So again, that time in the morning, they had to get the, the, the paramedics in, get into hospital, get him stitched up. So, so clearly his start to the season was never going to happen. But I do remember that the flight back home, so they got him all patched up. But this is 
a horrendous injury. The, the, the press had got wind of it as well. And a lot of things that happened under Howard Kendall were kind of swept under the rug and he didn't really get them reported. But this was such a big incident that clearly locals have reported it. It got out there. So we're again flying back to Manchester Airport. And Peter clearly is in, isn't in a good way because of, of the, the, the treatment he's had to have, stitches, he's on medication and everything. But again, we're all arriving back, Everton tracks it's now. Basically, they had to smuggle him through Manchester Airport to try and avoid all the press that had gathered there to try and get a shot of, of Howard and Peter and again, how this kind of crazy incident had happened. But this was like a year into joining Everton. And you're just thinking, this is... But this was... I, I used to room with Peter as well. There couldn't be any more like the odd couple. Peter behaved in a certain way. He didn't do this all the time. It was a, a complete one of him, but he was very different to me. I was kind of the, uh, I kind of balanced him out a little bit in terms of, you know, making him cups of tea and making him stay in of an evening when we room together. But riding a moped at a plate glass window is probably generally not a good idea, regardless of whether you think it's going to open or not. It, it, was, it was absolutely awesome. It's not really an uplifting soccer story, is it? It's quite sobering. Maybe that's the wrong term, considering the story. It is. It is. It's so. But again, I just he was he was a very very lucky boy. Chidge, you could have told that with a great deal more humour. I mean, that that story is funnier than you made it out. It's to be. not. Is it though, Steve? I'm laughing at that. Is that? Is it? I think enough time has passed now. I mean, immediately afterwards, you know, the horror. I could understand you being a little bit more reticent, but mm, a little bit more sure. reticent. Yeah. Well, went reticent. Reticent. A little reticent. bit more reticent. reticent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, thinking about how you actually, but there's a lot of stories that I've told that are really poignant that I tell in a humorous way. So I, I work it the other way on many occasions, don't I? So really, this is just one where maybe people think this is hilarious, but actually I can tell you, and even thinking about now, 1991, it's a long time has passed, but it's still, I wouldn't like you, Steve, to drive a Harley Davidson through the entrance to um, the Hard Rock Cafe and lacerate <laughs> your arm. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't find that funny. I'd be rushing to your bedside, offering you my blood. Chinch, you know me well enough that it would be on a motorised scooter or something like that. I wouldn't be on a Harley. I seem to remember on one of Steve's birthday uh, evenings out, he lacerated a finger, went, yes, to, uh, went to hospital. The rest of us just carried on having a white whale of a time. It was hilarious. Oh, uh, yes. My 31st. How did you lacerate that. your finger, Stephen? There may have been some dancing. There could have been a table involved. It shouldn't have happened. I mean, St and Steve's time as a stripper was very upsetting for everybody. <laughs> Kiwi correspondence yeah. coming into setpiecemenu at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out the SPMPLPL, tinyurl.com forward slash setpiecemenu. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review. So we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Steve and Andy and Rory. Happy birthday. And to Thank you all you. for listening. We'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. I can't believe we've brushed over the point midway through that podcast where Hugh and I were taken out by lightning. I mean, define taken out as you both appear to be talking, or are you, in fact, both zombies? <laughs> there, was a, there was a flash of lightning, which I saw through my skylight. I glanced back at my screen, and you guys had completely frozen. Yeah, but it's not that. I, it's, you're not driven through a plate glass window, have you? It's just, assumed, it's just your computer went down. I, I thought I was okay, <laughs> and, and my mates were gone forever. I thought that was it. You'd been evaporated in the blink of an eye. It's interesting that you saw the lightning, but assumed that we'd suffered. Well, because I, I was still moving on my on my my knew you were alive screen. I was still here, but you guys just have become me, nothing. Me and Chinch were completely unaffected and actually just continued talking. It didn't really notice that you two weren't here, which has given us an idea for a podcast. It was a great opportunity for just the two of us. There are two extra wheels 
on this bus that maybe we don't need. Rory, training wheels, Chinch. Training wheels. <laughs> training wheels. It would no stabilizers. <laughs> it would no longer be a bus, Chinch, if you took two of the wheels away. Uh, no, it'd be a bike. You'd be back on Beagree's moped. Oh, no. <laughs> I wasn't on the back of it, by the way.